Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the 14th Sunday after Trinity, September 5th, 2021, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as you are able as I read the Old Testament lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Isaiah chapter 35 verses 4 through 7. can be found on page 1112 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name Isaiah chapter 35 verses 4 through 7. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As the oldest of four and the only son in my family, I had and still have a special and unique relationship with my father. Growing up, I did things with him that my sisters really didn't do or even were really interested in doing, or sometimes they simply weren't old enough to do anyway. Our regular summer weekend trip from North Dakota to the Twin Cities was usually punctuated by my mom and sisters going shopping at one of the malls while my dad and I tried to squeeze in as many Twins games as we possibly could before driving back. For the most part, I was the one who accompanied my dad on business that was associated with our hobby farm in eastern North Dakota, but best of all, I was generally the only one who got to go with dad to auction sales. And auction sales are still one of my most favorite things in the entire world to do. There's something that is entirely appealing about going to a farm and purchasing someone else's used junk in a highly competitive manner. That's just amazing. Nowhere else would you buy a box full of used wrenches and be excited about it unless you're at an auction sale. Then it's amazing. And I have a lot of wrenches right now. Now, all of this fits together because what I ended up doing, especially as a teenager, more or less was abuse or take advantage of that favoritism just a little bit like any child, but I I think maybe I was more skilled at this than most, I would try to pit my parents against each other based on who I thought would be more permissive 
in the moment. When it came to doing sports or things like that, I would go to dad. When it came to getting out of chores and doing other things, I would go to mom. But when, and usually they did this on a regular basis, my parents sniffed this out, I would get in quite a lot of trouble. And it would backfire on me, especially when I found myself on the wrong side of my mother, which I often did. And when that happened, my mom would drop one little line that every single son who has ever learned, or who has ever lived, learned to dread. Just wait until your father gets home. I see some people nodding uh, with familiarity to that. Just wait until your father gets home. Now, I spent more time than I can count, or than I dare to admit, dreading the various ways in which my dad would vanquish me when he returned from work, tired and annoyed from his workday, only to find out I was sitting in solitude waiting to receive his word of punishment. It's almost a comical thing what your imagination can do to you when you realize that you're in trouble. And when you realize that the trouble you are in is your own dumb fault, and when you realize that the trouble you have caused has created DEFCON levels of frustration with one parent, just imagining what the second parent is going to do to you. So it is with our Old Testament lesson this morning. Our time spent with God should be good news. And as Christians coming to church on a regular basis, more often than not, it is. But our time with God is not always good news. And when it isn't good news, it is guaranteed to be our fault. So turning our eyes back to Isaiah 35 this morning, we see one promise, one promise that Isaiah delivers to us that brings everything from the Old Testament lesson together for us. He says it twice, your God will come. That's the phrase. We have to pause for a moment to appreciate why this is so special and so significant. Now, we talked about this at length last week, but it stands true today as well, mostly because it's a major theme throughout Scripture, but perhaps because it's a major aspect of God's identity. And it's simply this, God exists. Now, most of us should be appropriately responding here, well, duh, we know that God exists. But I still think, after considering all of the Old Testament passages we've been through so far this year, that we really don't appreciate how unique that actually is. I want you to stop and, and, and try to imagine in your mind, if you will, an abstraction that really drives home the point from my perspective. Let's say that instead of being 
born and raised in the United States, which a vast majority of us here have been, let's say instead you were born in India and you were raised a Hindu. In the Hindu pantheon of gods, and if I get this wrong, someone can correct me, but it's my understanding, in the Hindu pantheon of gods, there are over 300 million possibilities. Now try to imagine what that's like from your perspective as a Hindu believer. You can't, I guarantee, you can't even conceive of the quantity of possibilities that 300 million brings. 300 million. There's no way for you with any amount of certainty to really believe that any one of those gods actually exists. All you can muster up in your brain is the possibility that some might exist in some form, possibly. As such, the entire Hindu religion is based entirely on uncertainty, on philosophical, abstract meanderings of the mind. So it is with every other world religion. But the uniqueness of Christianity is that our God exists. And his existence isn't based on the well wishes of devoted followers. His existence isn't based on the total quantity of followers. God's existence is based on historical reality. And so that when we, as Christians, living in the 21st century, hear the promise that our God will come, that says something. It says something entirely different than any other God in any other religion can possibly say because we know it to be truth. God exists and he's based that existence even on his revealed name, which when delivered to Moses simply means, I am who I am. God exists. And this is where we get to that little idea I introduced at the beginning of the message. The second dose of reality we get in this passage is that God's existence, and especially his arrival is not necessarily good news. And here's where we're going to break down the second half of this mini apologetics lesson I'm teaching this morning. When the conception of your God or gods is entirely philosophical, when you can't even conjure up in your mind the possibility that they might be real, what you're left with is that the existence of your God, you can, with enough intent, form that existence into some warm, fuzzy reality. So it is with everyone who believes in God 
on this abstract basis. If you talk to anyone, even in the United States, about the existence of God, where they're going to end up is the land of warm fuzzies, of unicorns and rainbows and care bears. That's where the presence of God takes most people because they're not starting from the place of reality. But here we have one of God's prophets in God's word delivering a very concrete message. Your God will come. But he comes with vengeance and recompense. He comes with vengeance. I think that most of us here would understand the concept of vengeance. All of us in our human nature have an innate desire to see those who have wronged us or wronged someone we love pay for their crimes. We want jerks to get their just desserts. But recompense, recompense might be a little bit more foreign to us. It's built on the word in the idea of con- compensation. For God, in his arrival, it's a matter of payback. Payback material or payback financially for wrongdoing. But you're left, as you're considering this concept of vengeance and of recompense, is who has God arrived to pay vengeance to? Where is his recompense directed? And that's where you have to consider, by the words of the Bible, that it's directed at you. That you, in your sin, in your rebellion, in your contention with God about everything you're upset with in your life, you are the object of God's wrath. You are the object of God's anger. And you have to consider that maybe when God comes, maybe when you hear this promise that God is coming, that he's coming for you, that he's coming after you, that maybe in your life you're not really going to get away with all of the things that you pulled hoping that your father wouldn't notice. Your God will come. But Isaiah doesn't leave us there. He doesn't allow us to wallow in self-pity or terror because then he explains your God comes to save. God is coming and in fact God is coming for you but he's coming to save you from yourself. Listen to what Isaiah says. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. The purpose of God coming is deliverance. He is coming to take care of the enemies of his people. But the mode of God's coming, the mode of his deliverance, 
is forgiveness. The entire purpose when God shows up is that he might come and judge and condemn his enemies. But when that happens, God zeroes in on your sin. When God arrives, he has one thing in mind, your sin. And that's why the purpose and person and work of Jesus Christ is so important. Jesus actually does come. Jesus does come with vengeance and the recompense of God. And when Jesus shows up from the very beginning, your sin is under assault. Jesus is born in a manger in Bethlehem. He puts on human flesh and he shows you how it's done. He shows you what obedience to God looks like. He shows you what praise and obedience looks like. And as Jesus starts his public ministry, he starts to put all of the work of the devil back in its place. He starts to heal the sick and the blind and the lame and the mute and the deaf. He starts to beat back fallen and sinful creation. But then, in the end, what Jesus does is he goes to the cross in your place and he takes your sin and makes it his own. And there are two messages in all of Scripture that you need to hear from this reality. The first is Jesus' words on the cross. It is finished. Jesus succeeds. The second are the words from Isaiah here in Isaiah 35. Fear not. And if you take one thing away from this sermon today, if only one thing stays between your two ears all week, take this away. When God speaks these words, fear not in Scripture, what he says is that you have been forgiven. The only way you can be in God's presence, the only way you can exist before God without fear is if your sins have been forgiven. And this is precisely what God does for you. This is precisely what Jesus Christ accomplishes. God comes. He comes to save and then he comes to assure. Close of our Old Testament passage reads like this. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. When God comes to us to save us, he comes in a manner that is sure and certain. He doesn't come mysteriously. He doesn't come vaguely. He comes concretely. We've talked about this already. When Jesus Christ comes, he enters human history. 
And it is not hyperbole, it is not exaggeration to say that right now, in the year 2021, we have more actual historical evidence for the existence of Jesus Christ than we do of Julius Caesar. We have no doubt whatsoever that Jesus existed. If that's the case and you have to do something in your mind and with your life about what Jesus has said and done because of what Isaiah has said here. Your God will come, and he comes to save, and he comes in such a way that is absolutely sure and absolutely certain, and this, maybe this, beyond salvation, is the most tremendous blessing in the life of a Christian is that God has come to save and God has come to save you in such a way that right now it is entirely possible and biblical for you to know for certain that if you were to die in this moment, you would go straight to heaven. That you can be confident of your eternal destiny. And what these last few verses of our Old Testament lesson indicate is that even when Jesus was on the earth, he came in such a way that he repeatedly demonstrated he was the God who comes to save. When there were blind people, he made them see. When there were deaf people, he made them hear. When there were crippled and lame people, he made them walk. When there were mute people, he made them speak. When there were dead people, He brought them back to life. Jesus, in the Gospels, in the history of the Gospels, does things that only God can do. Which means that when Jesus goes to the cross and dies, and when Jesus emerges from the empty tomb, he does something only God can do. He saves you. He forgives your sins. He wants you to know this. And this is why here today at Faith Free Lutheran Church, some 2,000 years after Jesus lived and some 2,800 years after Isaiah spoke these words, that these words have meaning for you right here and right now. Because as you sit in church this morning, God still comes. He still comes to you and he still comes to save and he does this certainly. The entire arc of the worship service that you are in the middle of right now is about God coming to you. All of the gifts God delivers to you today is because he is here for you. All of your life circumstances demonstrate God's favor to you. Every breath you take, the shirt on your back, every single blessing that God pours out on you is because of Jesus. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not continue to give us all good things? You see, the evidence of God's love 
and God's salvation in your life is not your good or your bad circumstances. If you're suffering right now, it's not as if God has turned his back on you and abandoned you. And if you're feeling especially blessed right now, it's not because God is giving you some tacit approval of your all-star Christianness. No, God's opinion of you is Jesus Christ on the cross in your place. And everything you receive in life is because your God came. And he still comes. And he will continue to come. And in fact, at the end of time, he will come. And he will usher you into eternity. And he will save. And until that moment in history, your God comes. He comes through the preached words of mine and every other pastor's sermons comes as Scripture is read from the lectern. He comes through the hymns which quote and lay out Scripture for us. He comes with His body and blood in Holy Communion. He comes to you daily and regularly and certainly because He loves you. He desires to save you And he desires you to know every moment of your life that you are indeed saved. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.